Welcome to Massive Late Fee, and now your hosts, Mark and Carol. Hi everybody, welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark, with me as always is my girlfriend Carol. How you doing Carol? Hey, what's up? It's February 19th, 1994, and we've, uh, we've had another good week here, always good weeks at uh, Massive Late Fee. We've got uh, some additional listeners and uh, yeah, people are seem to be enjoying our show, so I guess we're doing something right, Carol. Yeah, that's awesome. Keep listening, guys. So the news this week, we've got a few items here in the news. Gary Shandling, one of my favorite comedians, I don't know how familiar you are with him, Carol. Not at all. He used to have a show called uh, It's Gary Shandling Show. It was great. The, the theme song was hilarious. It was sort of a fourth wall breaking kind of show sort of I would say probably not an inspiration but kind of the template for uh Seinfeld show oh okay uh but it was he was a stand-up comedian and it was about his life his friends stuff like that so similar to Seinfeld in that way the shows were written differently the the way that the Plots go and everything are, are a lot different. Um, Larry David is the name of the creator of Seinfeld, along with Jerry Seinfeld. Okay. And he writes a lot of the episodes, and he is a very good comic writer. He's very good at weaving funny plots and scenarios together. This is a little less structured of a show. But the theme song went... Uh, uh, this is the theme to Gary's show, the opening theme to Gary's show. Gary called me up and asked if I would write his theme song. <laughs> We're almost to the part where I start to whistle. Then we'll watch It's Gary Shandling Show. And then he'd go... This was the theme to Gary Shandling Show. All right. So it's uh, it's very meta like that. Yeah. And he would he would come out and the the main set of the show was his... It was his living room, basically. Okay. And there'd be the couches and everything. He'd come out and, as a stand-up comedian, talk directly to the audience from that set. Okay. There'd be a wide shot. You could kind of tell it was a set and there was an audience. And he would deliver a small little monologue. Sort of, uh, you know, like a, a very abbreviated stand-up act to the live audience. Then they'd start the show. So, in a way, you know, Seinfeld had the, the stand-up, has the stand-up, at the beginning of the show, yeah, where the, he does his stand-up bit, they go into the I show. Can see, yeah, I can so see it's, similarity. Yeah, there's and Gary Shandling and, and Jerry Seinfeld are friends, so you know there's some similarities to structure there, but they're obviously different shows. Okay, but it was a very good show. I used to like it a lot. Uh, I think it was on HBO, which is probably why you didn't see it. Probably, but this would be the late '80s. Uh, I used to watch it when I was young there. He's, but he started out as a stand-up comedian. Obviously, he still does stand-up comedy. Apparently, according to this news that I read, he had a very bad set at the Improv in L.A. He's preparing to host the Grammys later this year. Good for him. And uh, he he hasn't done stand-up in a while because he's been doing TV projects and everything. And... So he was coming back to stand up. He was trying to work things in, and I guess it was it wasn't the most coherent of sets, according okay. to what I read. All the audience seemed to enjoy it. A very pro Gary Shandling audience, you know, seemed to enjoy the show, even though it didn't have quite the mastery of his normal stand up. And he's sort of out of practice, so that makes sense. But uh, it will be interesting to see when he hosts the Grammys. Kind of how smoothly that goes based on this review that I read. Well, I mean, it seems like hosting a show is is quite different than doing a whole stand-up routine. I mean, you only need to be funny for a minute or two That's at true. a time. That's true. There are, there are definitely differences. And that could kind of explain why maybe he went sort of a different route than he usually goes with this uh, routine. That's a, That's a solid point. I also read in the same magazine, I believe this was, uh, I can't remember if this was the LA Times, because I, I got a subscription to the LA Times now to try to keep up on, uh, well, I try to keep up on entertainment news since we're doing this. Okay. And, uh, or if it was Variety, one of those. I don't know. I read a lot of newspapers and magazines to try to keep <clears throat> up on this. I can't remember which one that was, this was. But a writer named uh, Rich Dubrow, 
That's uh, two words, D-U-B-R-O-W. Interesting. Yeah. He, uh, he wrote an article that he says uh, the gay world is TV's new frontier. That's the name of the article. Okay. And in this article, he talks about how uh, homosexuals and homosexual lifestyle and stuff like that is going to be the next frontier of television. Programming shows, creating shows that star gay characters that deal with, uh, you know, uh, issues in the gay community, things like that. <coughs> it kind of relates to um, the movie that we watched in a small way. Yeah. Um, but uh, he thinks that that is going to be the new, the new big thing that Hollywood takes on, basically, is, you know, homosexual lifestyle, homosexual world, stuff like that. And that we're going to start seeing shows that star gay people or star characters who are gay. Right. And dealing with those issues. So that's, you know, it's an inter- it's interesting to think of a traditional sitcom where there's, you know, two gay characters that are together or, you know, a gay character looking for love alongside maybe a straight character looking for for love and sort of the contrast between those two things. It could Just be. off the top of my head. That seems yeah. like it might be it, it, it could be interesting. It, it would definitely be different than what we see now. Yes. So that's that That was a very interesting article. If you guys want to check that out, uh, either look for Variety or The LA Times. Because <laughs> I can't remember which one it was in. But it's in one of those two. The, like I said, the maybe you can go to the library and look up uh, uh, Rich Dubrow and uh, find the article there. But that was a very interesting article. And, and I thought... Something, an interesting idea that's, you know, I mean, we don't see a lot of representation of homosexuality in movies or TV unless it's as a joke. We had Philadelphia this year. That's true. Well, last year. Last year. But that's, that's true. And that's, that's definitely, that was definitely a groundbreaking type Mm -hmm. film. And that's, uh, you know, that's something that we're leaning towards more. But you would probably agree, I would think, in the past, it's mostly been used as comedy, too. Yeah. So. For sure. That's that's something that I think is interesting and that will probably, I don't know, I mean, if this guy is right, could be, you know, we could be on the inside track of the, the shape of the way Hollywood's going to yeah. go. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Um, so, I'm thinking about adding a new segment to the show. Okay. I'm going to try to debut it now <clears throat> and see what what everyone thinks of it. But uh, I'm calling it This Week in MTV. Now, it could be a video, could be a TV show. MTV started to do a lot of original TV shows. I watched a new game show that they have. I think you saw maybe the, the very beginning of yeah. it. Yeah. Called uh, Trashed. And basically, the premise of the show is that two teams come on of two people each. So, four people in total. Mm -hmm. Two on each team. Two plus two is four? (laughs) Everyone got it. But, anyway, so, they come on and they compete against each other. They answer questions related to pop culture, music, things like that. And they each bring on items of theirs. Like stereos, TVs, tape collections. Well, the girl brought her prom dress okay. that she wore. And if you lose the round, then the other team gets to destroy one of your your things. Oh my. Yeah. So that's uh, it's an interesting show. So that's why the culture. Do you think it's for real? You know, it's funny. The one guy brought a TV. And it looked, you know, they're doing some decent stuff with TVs now uh-huh. where, you know, they, uh, they're a little sleeker and things like that. But this looked like maybe even like a black and white TV. It was quite small. It looked older, maybe early 80s model, you know, like RCA or something like that. And so I wonder if what they're bringing in is stuff that's already kind of trash. Right. I mean, they get to, I think they're really destroying it. Okay. Cause you see them really destroyed. Right. I'm just, I was just wondering if it's really something like if it's really that girl's prom dress, or, or if it's a prop. Right. Yeah, I think it's real, 
But I think they're choosing stuff they don't care if it gets destroyed. Well, that would be the smart thing to do. The girl, I think, with the prom dress, it's like, you know, maybe she wore it once. Maybe it doesn't fit her anymore. Maybe she doesn't really care about it kind of thing. Yeah. Because, I mean, how important is a prom dress? I know, I know women like to save wedding dresses, but... I save all my fancy dresses because I know. someday, you know, we'll go somewhere awesome and I'll want to have something to wear. <laughs> but some women don't like to re-wear dresses, which I think is dumb. Yeah, what are they, rich? I mean, shit. But anyway, yeah. So uh, I think that's kind of how it is. Uh, I saw an interesting commercial, something that I think that you might be interested in because you kind of like this fantasy type you know, sword and sorcery type stuff with, yeah. your, with your Dungeons and Dragons thing. There was a commercial uh, on when I was watching MTV while, while I was watching Trashed for some new show that's coming in April, April 25th of this year. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, it's called Hercules and the Amazon Women. Okay. Stars some guy named Kevin Sorbo. Uh, there's uh, a bunch of people in it and it's one of those like it's him playing hercules and there's a bunch of mythological sword and sorcery type stuff so it's a tv movie and i guess we'll see you know what happens from there that sounds awesome but uh yeah that's uh so that that's coming out april 25th and yeah so that's pretty much all the news i have they did mention that girl from the the Aerosmith videos, you know, the girl, the blonde girl that's in all the Aerosmith videos lately. Alicia Silverstone? Yeah, that's her name, yeah. She was in uh, a movie called The Crush last yeah. year. That's an amazing movie. She's amazing. I want to be her. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know who you're talking about. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't, I didn't know her name because, you know, as far as I know, she's just been in that movie and these music videos. But, uh,. Yeah, I didn't know what her name was. Well, I know what her name is because I watched that movie like 20 times. Well, anyway, apparently that's based on a true story. Did you know that? No. Yeah, the writer of the film, it's based on one of his neighbors. I guess his neighbor went through something similar Hmm. to this. That's kind of creepy. Yeah. Because she's in the movie, she's 14. Yeah. And she's... I think she's 16 or 17 in real life now. Okay. Uh, but yeah, she's, you know, she's in all those uh, crying and crazy. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the name of the other one. What was the name of the other one? Amazing or something like that? Yeah. I think the so. last one that she was in, the girl that's in it with her, the dark haired girl, uh-huh. that's Liv Tyler is her name. That's Steven Tyler's daughter. Oh, how cool. And it's, it's, but it's weird because she does that strip tease at one point in the video. Okay. She's, yeah. I mean, That's it's like gross. the whole, I mean, obviously he didn't direct, Steven Tyler didn't direct the video, <clears throat> but it's a little, it's a little odd. Yeah. To use your daughter in your Is video in that way. No, I think she's 17 as well. I think she's around the same age as, what's the girl's name again? The blonde Alicia one? Silverstone. Alicia Silverstone. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think they're roughly the same age, 16, 17 years old. Yeah, that's crazy then. Yeah. But uh, so that's kind of what I saw on MTV this week. Uh, we might come back with it next week. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. But our TV picks of the week, what we watched this week, I'll let you go first. Uh, you watched. <clears throat> I watched Full House. And, you know, I know it's in its seventh season already, but. You know, I still love it. I remember watching it when I was, like, a little kid when it first came out. Mm-hmm. And um, it's cool seeing that the girls are all growing up. Um, this episode was kind of funny. Um, Uncle Jesse came back from Greece and brought a surprise. His cousin, Savros. I thought the surprise was going to be syphilis. <laughs> Probably. No. no. Um, and Savros is just a complete jerk but jesse looks up to him and thinks he's awesome so it causes a lot of conflict in the house because sabros is just alienating everyone pissing everybody off using them like for example and you know of course i've been there going for comedy with this but 
he, you know, acts like he doesn't know how to play cards to get Joey to play cards with him. Jen, yeah. And then, you know, he, he gets 20 bucks and his watch. Then he'd ordered pizza that cost 20 bucks and pretended like he didn't have 20 bucks that he just got. I think it's convenient that the pizza cost the same amount of money that he took from Joey, considering that I have never paid $20 for pizza in my, for a single pizza in my life. Now, I know they're in San Francisco. Yeah. It might be more expensive there, I guess. Well, here's the thing, too, though. It was a custom pizza. Yeah, that's true. Because he said double feta cheese and lamb. <laughs> yeah. And apparently it smelled like a stink bomb. But anyway, he he was just being a jerk. And then he put the moves on uh, Rebecca. Yeah. So. Then. Yeah, the, the married woman with, with twin boys. Who's his cousin's wife. I mean, right. that's just so wrong on so many levels. Yep. Um, so they, in the, in the end there, what did he, he's did a thing where he lied to them because he heard them talking about how terrible he is. Yeah. And uh, said that he was going to go home because originally he was talking about staying and everybody was freaking out because they didn't want him to stay. So then they're telling Jesse how awful they think he is and Jesse's defending him. So you think maybe he's going to be selfless and just kind of take himself out of the equation. He comes down and says, oh, there's this, you know, uh, mudslide back home and the village is destroyed and I've got to go. But, um, you know, he gets them to do a freaking benefit for him first because of this disaster that he's made up. Yeah. So um, they're doing a dance-off to make money for this ruined village. It's all a fucking con. And uh, this this part bothered me, but, you know, it's over-the-top TV. So um, Rebecca and the girls kind of go in together trying to set him up so that, Joey will, or so that Jesse will know uh, what he's doing. So she's waiting for him in the dressing room in this, like, sexy dress and with the flowers. She's got this microphone, and she's trying to get him to admit what he did. And, of course, the microphone's not on when he admits what he did. Right. Um, then um, when she finally, you know, does get him to say it, and Jesse hears, and then he runs off and takes the money, they could have done it so much more simple. They found that he had bought plane tickets for that night. They could have just showed the plane tickets to Jesse. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, what what do you think? Why do you think that he needed to hear it directly from him? I just, I didn't get that. I don't know. I think that, um, you know, he could have made up some other lie about the plane tickets. That he wanted to get home as fast as possible because but of this mudslide thing. Home. The oh yeah, that's were right. To go to Florida. That's right. They were to go to Florida. Orlando, I did, specifically. I did go to the bathroom at some point yeah. during this. So yeah, it was it was to go to Orlando. I don't know. I mean, I think the obvious. I think the obvious reason is for television and comedic yeah. purposes. But yeah, they should have just brought the plane tickets to him and and said what they knew. And obviously, he should believe his wife for sure. And he over a cousin he barely knows. He should have believed her in the first place. He believed him over her in the beginning when she told him, you know, that he put the moves on her and he was just, he said he was just being friendly air. Yeah. You know, that's just he how He said, they you know are. how Greek yeah. people are? Which Greek is people are. funny coming from John Stamos, <laughs> a Greek person himself. Right. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, who are you going to believe? Your wife or your herpes riddled cousin? You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, it doesn't seem that that difficult to me, but, you know, it's a TV show. You know, it's so funny to me, too, though, because, I mean, I'm sorry, but John Stamos is kind of smoking. And uh, they bring in this character. Yeah, there's so many guys that you that you find attractive. Well, not as she attractive as you. She tortures me with it constantly. <laughs> no, but um, anyway, this, this cousin is just greasy and gross looking, but it's the same guy. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's what hair and makeup do. I think they even put maybe something on his nose, like they changed the shape of his nose. Maybe a little bit, yeah. But he has, he has a mustache, his hair's all greased back and yeah. everything. He just looks gross. So, in case you were wondering if John Stamos can look gross or not, he can. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I heard... Now, see, I like you, I used to watch this when I was young. I've sort of grown out of this show. We watched it this week because for, you know, our show... But I heard a rumor that next season is going to be their final season. They're going to oh, okay. do one more season, and then they're going to end the show on their own terms. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably time. And I will just say, no offense to Full House, but I think 
it's been enough. Uh, and I think next season, you know, is a fine time to end the show on your own terms. It's been a successful show. And I'm just glad that we will never have to see anything Full House related ever again. Aww. I'm just saying, it's enough. They'll have it in reruns. That's fine with me. You can pop it on every once in a while if you want to see it. But one more season, we're out. No more Full House things ever again. Well, you know, I mean, that's not how you felt about freaking Saved by the Bell. But that is a, that's a quality show. And we're talking about a complete change of format. And that gets on to my TV pick of the week. Because as you all know from last week and just the morning that's going on around the country, Saved by the Bell, the college years, is no more. We still have, fingers crossed, possibly a TV movie to wrap up the storylines that they started. I hope they do it for you, baby. But, you know, I guess it's time for Dustin Diamond to move on and do other things besides playing Screech. <laughs> and Tiffany Amber Thiessen can go on to, I don't know, whatever she wants to do with her life. And I think that Mark Paul Gossler should get into comedy films. I think he'd, he'd do well in that. Why? You can't, you, can't you see him in a college comedy? You know? I guess. Like uh, almost like uh, Animal House, sort of from yeah. back in the from back in the day. I can see him doing something like He's that. He's got that look. So, anyway, you know it, that's sad that it's it's ended. But I found a new show, only on its fourth episode on ABC. I believe this show is going to stand the test of time. Last. You know, seven, eight, nine, ten seasons. You really devote yourself to shows, don't you? It's a great show, though. You watched it with yeah, me. Yeah, it's a good show. I think it's sort of a response to The Simpsons in some way, uh, the, because The Simpsons has been very popular for Fox. And since then, other networks have been sort of looking for their animated hit. Okay. And I think this is it for ABC. Uh, it is The Critic. Starring uh, alum of Saturday Night Live, um, John Lovitz, and he plays a movie critic named Jay Sherman with a daughter and a son and an ex-wife. Margo is his daughter and Marty is the name of his son. And his parents are in the show, but basically it's about his life as a critic. This episode is called Miserable. It's a take on the the Stephen King book, Misery, which is one of my favorite Stephen King books. Excellent, excellent book. I liked it, too. Uh, excellent movie with, um, oh, what was that woman's name? Oh. She played, Annie Wilkes is the name of the character, Kathy Bates. Yes. Uh, she was great in it. James Conn was good mm-hmm. in it. Uh, but it's a take on that where Jay can't find any love. He's uh, His ex-wife calls him at the beginning of the episode to basically make fun of him and tell him how much alimony that he owes her. She, so ridiculous. She rents a billboard <laughs> to uh, right outside his window calculating the amount as the days go by. But anyway, so uh, he's he can't find any love. So he goes to see a movie. To, you know, as part of his job. And he sees the projectionist looking at him from the little window. Creepy. So he goes to, you know, knocks on the projection thing, opens the door. She just grabs him and has sex with him right there. And then he comes back the next week to see another movie. Same thing happens. The third time when it happens, he says, you know, that they should start a relationship. And whatever, he wants to see where things go. So they end up going on a date she drugs him. This is where it gets sort of... This is where the plot and her motivation gets kind of muddled. Okay. She has a shrine to him in her in her house. Says that she's his number one fan, just like in the Stephen King book. And she, uh, cha- you know, like, secures him to the bed with film reel. <laughs> and he can't get up. She keeps knocking him out uh, for days at a right. time. It could, like she does it like five times. It's just like it's one of those repetitive jokes where it just like it's the same thing keeps happening over and over, and mm-hmm. that's the that's the humor of it. 
But uh, she says that the reason she kidnapped him is because she likes every movie that comes out and people make fun of her. So she's kidnapping him so that he can tell her what's good and what's bad. Okay. But then later, she just wants to kill him. It's weird. Like, after she knocks him out for all those days, she's like, I'm going to slowly kill you one day at a time, and today I'm going to cut your hair. That's, you know, that's going to be part of your death or whatever. And she gives him this bad haircut. (laughs) And it's just, it's weird. Like, her motivation is, it's all played for comedy, and obviously it's an animated show, so internal consistency isn't necessarily, you know, isn't necessarily expected or needed. Right. But it's weird how the shifting motivations for no reason. Well, here's the thing. He's a film critic. Yeah. He reviews films. She could just read his reviews and that would tell her what's good and bad. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah, it's like, it should have been more that she was obsessed with him. Like, why did she want to have sex with him in the first place? Right. You know. Uh, But anyway, so she does that. His, uh, I can't remember the name of his friend, but he's an Australian actor. And... He's the one that kind of figures out what's going on, and he ends up rescuing uh, Jay. But uh, And then the end of the episode is also a play on Misery, where he's hobbling to a dinner. He sits down, and he sees her walk up. And in the movie, it's James Caan, and this waitress walks up, and it looks like Annie Wilkes. And then he blinks and realizes it's just a regular waitress. Mm-hmm. Kind of show his post-traumatic uh, stress, basically. Right. But in this, you know, it's still her. She sits down and she says, I can't believe that you agreed to a second date <laughs> after I drugged you. And he said, well, you also had sex with me. And that puts you, I think, just a cut above. So so that's the, the joke that the episode ends on. But this show is hilarious. It is. There's a lot of, there's a chase scene where they both get in, she gets into a cab and his Australian actor friend sees her get into the cab. So he gets into a cab and has it follow and they go across the bridge, the, the, at the Brooklyn Bridge in New York and they play just like a quick snippet of the theme from Taxi. Okay. That, you know, theme and one of the creators of the show, uh, James Brooks, was also a writer and creator on Taxi. So it's sort of a, like a little in-joke uh, based on what he's done in his in his career. He also worked on Cheers. So there's you know, some good talent and, you know, both in front of the camera, quote-unquote, it's animated, but, you know, the voice actors, and behind the camera, too, on the producer's side. There's So there's good talent on both sides. It's a very funny show. So, like I said, it's only on episode four. Check out The Critic on ABC. Uh, you, I, I guarantee that you will love it. It's a very funny show. Yeah, definitely worth your time. So, that brings us to our main topic today. We saw the uh, new movie out in theaters this week called Reality Bites. Uh, it stars Ethan Hawke, which you probably remember from Dead Poets Society. Uh, Winona Ryder, who's done a, a few things. She's in that that new movie with Glenn Close and Meryl Streep. We talked about the the interview that she did last week. Right. That's coming out next month, I think. But uh, so she's she's done some things before. She's done a lot of period piece stuff. I think she's also she's talking about doing in that article. I forgot to mention this to you because I know you love this book. Uh, she's talking about doing a screen adaptation of that book, Little Women. Oh, how awesome. So she stars in the movie along with Ethan Hawke. There's uh, Janine Garofalo is in it, who you may remember from the Ben Stiller show, also on MTV. Ben Stiller directed the movie, and he's also in it. Mm-hmm. And a new comedian named Steve Zahn okay. is in it as well. And it's basically, I would say, and you can help me with the plot here, but I think it's basically about four 20-something, early 20-somethings, just graduated college in the Houston area and sort of their relationships, their lives, things like that. Yeah, it's I, I really I really enjoyed it. It's, you know, showing just like the different 
struggles and growing pains they're going through, you know, reality bites, obviously, you know, as in becoming an adult and having to deal with adult responsibilities, getting jobs, paying rent, um, and the relationships that they, they have and the things they go through in those struggles. Yeah, uh, at one point, Janine Garofalo, who has had 66 sexual partners. Yeah, she keeps a book and writes them down. It's yeah. really freaking messed up. That's a lot of sexual partners. And she's got to be, what, 22? I mean, when do you think she started? Say 16, so... About 16, eight probably. Eight years? That's a lot of people. That's a lot. She obviously she's, has not had relationships. No. You don't see her in a relationship in the entire film. She claims that she leaves after one night of sex because she wants to beat them to it. So she has some intimacy issues. Right. Clearly. And probably some self-esteem issues. But she's had 66 sexual partners. At one point, she goes and gets an AIDS test because one of her former partners tested positive for AIDS. That's obviously... it. It's still a big deal, you know, AIDS is. Not quite as much, I think, as it was a few years ago in, in the late 80s, early 90s. It I mean, seemed more more on people's minds than it is well, now-ish. We know more about it now. Yeah. And, you know, hopefully people are being smart and protecting themselves better than right. they were. Right, yeah. But I think it's still a major concern. Oh, I, if you get it, obviously it's a major concern. But I, like... In the late 80s, it seemed like it was going to become an epidemic where it spread throughout the entire country. And I think, uh, you know, to your point, with the increased use in condoms and things like that and, and preventative techniques, I think that it slowed more. So I hope that that continues to happen. Obviously, it's something everyone needs to think about if you're going to be sexually active. Right. Protect yourself. But... Um, but yeah, it's so she goes for a test. Thankfully, it comes back negative, so she does not have AIDS. Uh, the main love triangle story is between Winona Ryder's character, Ethan Hawke, and Ben Stiller. Yeah. She meets Ben Stiller because she throws a cigarette into his car. So terrible, by the way. And the fire distracts him, and he ends up crashing into her car, and that's how they meet. That's definitely not what one would call a meat cute. Right. He, uh, he, um, is, he's an executive, a TV executive. Yeah. On a, on a MTV-like network called In Your Face. Mm-hmm. And. But he is not, he is not very MTV or In Your Face. <laughs> no, not at all. He's, <laughs> he's very, very straight-laced. Yes, very straight-laced. And he's, you know, um. Ben Stiller, obviously, from the Ben Stiller show on MTV, he, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but he is Jerry Stiller and Anne Mira's son. Okay. Uh, I don't think we have many audience members who are old enough to remember uh, Jerry Stiller and ben, and Anne Mira. As Good, a, I'm glad I'm not alone here. As I have com- no idea what you're talking as about. As a comedy duo, but they used to be on the Ed Sullivan show, things like that. Uh, you know, they had a comedy duo act. And now Jerry Stiller plays uh, George Costanza's dad on Seinfeld. Oh, that's so okay. that guy, that's Ben Stiller's dad. And if you look at them, you can see the resemblance yeah. between the two of them. But anyway, so he... Uh, they both have that weird forehead. Yes. So he he's uh, the executive... And she is a production assistant on a morning show. Yeah. That the dad that's on Frasier actually mm-hmm. plays the John Mahoney, I think is his name. Yeah. He plays the um, the host of the show, real asshole. Oh. Very yeah. different than his character on Frasier. Yeah. Which it's fun to see to see the uh, the range. Yeah, and I think. This was filmed, I believe, probably last year in 93. Before so, Frasier. Yeah, because Frasier just came out this season. I think he gained some weight. I, I just. You think so? Yeah, he looked much thinner to me in this movie than yeah. he does on Frasier. He does, you know, it's weird. He looks a little younger, too. Yeah. I, I, I wonder almost if this was filmed a couple years ago. Or maybe they're aging him up for Frasier. That's possible, yeah. But, you know, I think it is possible because I know they had some problems with distribution and stuff like that. This film was originally at TriStar Pictures. Uh, TriStar 
rejected it basically oh. they wrote it off on their taxes oh wow and so they went they they got once Winona Ryder came on board they were able to get a deal through Universal the Universal's who puts out the movie uh now so so it could have been filmed like in 92 and that would explain why he looks a little bit older now yeah and is a little bit heavier now okay but yeah yeah because he does look in really good shape in this in this movie so, and obviously he's been around. I haven't seen, he's, I think he did a lot of work in the 80s and the 70s. I haven't, when he was younger, I haven't seen a lot of what he's done. I think no. it's mostly copish type shows and things like that. But, um, so the, like, Frasier and, and this are the only two things I've really seen him in. But, uh, anyway, so he's, uh, like, a real jerk to her and everything. And she's doing a documentary. She's making her own documentary with her own video camera basically filming her friends which honestly it was not clear to me right away that that's what she was doing i thought she just liked making home movies right because it's the way that it comes across yeah um and so she wants to put it on the show but he rejects it says she's an idiot basically uh the producer of the show thinks that she has real talent wants to keep her around but the host does not yeah he actually says that if if they keep her that he'll walk right so she basically plays a prank on him, I guess. Yeah, I mean, she gets her revenge. She uh, she gives him cards to interview people because apparently he doesn't read any... And it's established earlier in the film that he doesn't read any any of the research or anything done to for these interviews that he's doing. She just gives him the questions. Yeah, he just reads cue cards. That's all he does. Right, so she gives him the cue cards and it says uh that he's always liked very very young girls (laughs) and that he's a prick uh so obviously she gets fired because of that and she kind of goes into a depression eventually ben stiller says that he wants to take her her documentary and put it on his 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 network which is a lot different than she's thinking pbs you know she's thinking something more Something where, you know, it gets the kind of attention that she wants. More yeah. cerebral. Yeah, she she initially says no. She doesn't want him to do this. But yeah. he goes ahead anyway. Mm-hmm. He steals one of her films and shows it. And then they want to give it to, you know, to, to buy it from her. And she's so desperate for money and everything. She's yeah. just excited and, like, says, oh, yeah, you know, she's not mad at all. Yeah, she has her, her dad's gas card. Her dad is played by uh, Joe Don Baker, who fans of uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand might recognize as Mitchell from the sh- from the movie Mitchell. Uh, Mystery Science Theater three thousand is a show I used to watch all the time on Comedy Central. They uh, Joel Hodgson, the creator, left, and Mike Nelson, who was the head writer, took over. And it just I don't it doesn't have the same. Doesn't have the same feel to me. That like some of the magic is gone from it to me, so I don't watch it as much as I used to when Joel was hosting the show. But uh, yeah, so Joe Don Baker's a Hollywood veteran that uh, you know has been in several movies, including Mitchell, and so he plays the dad. She has his gas card, and she charges up. Um, like she, yeah, yeah go ahead. No, no go ahead. she. I mean, she. Uh, she. What did he tell her to do? To get a little ingenuity initiative initiative yeah so she takes initiative by taking his gas card and using it to buy people's gas to get them to give her the money yeah the cash so that she can pay off the giant phone bill she racked up talking to phone psychics yes psychic the psychic like latoya jackson's uh psychic hotline stuff like that (laughs) when she was depressed she just spent time she was using it like a therapist right basically but yeah, four hundred dollar phone bill, which is what she used to make a week. Yeah, not not smart. Don't don't call uh, phone psychics. People. No, don't. don't don't do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here because okay. you know, in, in in the beginning, they all graduated from from college and yeah. they're getting their careers and they move in together. She's living with two of the three other friends. Um, Initially, she's just living with Janine Garofalo. Right, and then Troy moves in. Yeah, Troy, played by Ethan Ethan Hawke. He uh, loses his job, and he moves in. So they're helping him out, 
And she kind of lords that over him at first yeah. when she's making money. Yep. And then she loses her job, and now the only one in the apartment that's making any money is Janine Garofalo's character. Right, who's the manager at The Gap. Right. She Yeah, and she offers to uh, hire her part-time, and she's like, I'm not going to work at The Gap like a fucking bitch. Yeah, she it's a it's a scene where she's very, you know, it's one of the things I like about the movie. Uh, you know, she, you can see when on a writer's point of view, she got this career, she wants to continue, you know, her her, her career in production right. and she's obviously very interested in television. Um and so she rejects the the offer, but she does it in like in Janine Garofalo's character she's trying to help her. Yeah. And but she does it in such a bitchy way that, you know, it causes friction between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, it's you know very much looking down on her. And, you know, it, it is weird to me that all of these people now have a, a college degree and are, and are struggling so hard. But, I mean, maybe that's just, I mean, I know we're in high school still, so I, I hope it's not really that hard when when you graduate to yeah, get I mean, a life. Yeah, I the, mean, the economy, the way it's going right now, seems like it's a little slow hopefully it picks up i know that president clinton and uh congress and stuff have some plans that they're trying to to roll out with balancing the budget and everything and hopefully that helps stimulate the economy and leads to to more jobs fingers crossed so this whole time you know there's a lot of flirtation between um between her and ethan hawk's character um and when she's first uh, on her first date with um, Ben Stiller's character, they, I'm sorry, kind of rudely have sex in his car in front of the house that she shares with in, these in people. In the driveway, yeah. yeah. Um, so Ethan Hawke catches them, like walks by and sees them. And then when she comes inside, you know, he's all jealous. And instead of admitting it, he's a jerk to her and mocks her and says, Oh, I'm really in love with you, and then like, don't flatter yourself. Like, just a yeah. total jerk. Because you could almost see, like, you can see the hope. Like, she she wants it to be, even though she just finished having sex with another guy. Right. So I think that kind of shows how deep the feelings are. Um, and then they end up fighting. Yeah, that uh, he, he, Ethan's Ethan Hawke's character is a very interesting character. He's one of these. Guys that has a lot of intelligence and not a lot of ambition, mm-hmm. not a lot of drive or work ethic. So he's in a band. He wants to try to make his band a thing. Their band is not very good. Um, and yeah, so he's very protective of his feelings. Mm-hmm. He, you know, you can kind of tell when he says that he's that he's in love with her, that he means it, but then he plays it off like he doesn't mean it because yeah. he's a afraid to take that leap which is proven again yeah later because i mean i don't know how, I, should should we go through the whole thing we might as well if uh if you haven't seen the movie stop our show stop the tape go see go, it. go watch it <laughs> and then resume the tape from this this point on right okay so now, here, I'm sorry, I think that she's kind of nuts because he is way better looking and she has a much better relationship with him than Ben Stiller's character. Ben, ben Stiller's not bad looking, though. No, he's not bad looking, but I just think Ethan Hawke is better looking. But that aside, they've been friends a long time. They've got, you know, a lot of emotion between them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's trying to cheer her up when she loses her job and he takes her out and, and they're having this nice time together and he kissed her and mm-hmm. she rejects him. Yeah. Which is just the stupidest thing you can do with someone like him because, of course, he runs away. I mm-hmm. mean, she's not, she doesn't see him for days, and when she does, he's angry. And I mean, it's just it's yep. very bad. Yeah. And then they finally do end up together, um, you know, having sex. And then he just takes off again because he's scared. Fucking yeah. idiot. But I think a lot of guys do that. And, you know, I mean, here's the thing. It's like us girls, we, we get fed this, this line of, like, I like you so much scares me and you know a lot of times it is just a line but there are some guys that are really that messed up <laughs> yeah well his father's dying too throughout the entire movie basically yeah. his father's we never see him but his father's in chicago and has prostate cancer uh he ends up going back to chicago at one point 
she doesn't know where he's gone or what's going on. She talks to Steve Zahn's character and asks him because they're really good friends. And he says, all I know is he went back to Chicago alone. Mm-hmm. So, because he's kind of a serial slut in the uh, in this <laughs> movie too, yes. where he he's with a string of different women, a blonde woman at the they beginning. They are all sluts. Yeah, except for except Steve for Zahn's Zahn's character, right. but. Then you know he's gay, and I think he he has a smaller pool perhaps to draw from. Right. Well, that. there's there's another reason too, that we'll get to in a minute. But uh, so he goes back to Chicago, and when he comes back, he tells her that you know his father died, and he was there for to see his last uh, you know moments and and for the funeral and everything. Uh, but so Ben Stiller takes the tape. He he pitches it, sells it. And then they're at the the party to premiere it, and they have completely destroyed oh. any kind of artistic integrity. It's terrible. Yeah, they they cut it down into very small. They call it Reality Bites, which is a double meaning title. Obviously, it's the title of the thing that Ben Stiller makes for her, and also, as you pointed out, going into the real world and how mm-hmm. and how it's you know becoming an adult is hard and different and sucky from uh, being a kid. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, they cut it all up and everything. They, they put in a, an ad for pizza hut oh. in the middle of it. Uh, it's, it's really terrible and she hates it obviously. Yeah. And like, like she said, you know, it's important to her and, and they just turn it into nothing. I don't, I mean, I'm sorry. I, this is the one thing about the movie that bothers me. The only thing I saw in the whole thing that seemed like it was important or meaningful was her her friend talking about coming out. Yeah. that's. I mean, like, maybe there was more to it that they're not showing us, but, I mean, it wasn't some dramatic masterpiece. The movie? Yeah. Okay, well, we'll talk... I mean, her movie, not, not reality, but... Oh, her movie? Yeah, her, her documentary. Yes, I agree. I, you know, I think... And maybe that's on purpose. I don't know. Because she talks about... The the one thing that she talks about with her friends is... Uh, you know, her parents got divorced when she was 10, I think. Yeah, young, young, but not super young. We see that at the beginning. That uh, after she graduates, she goes out to dinner with her parents. And her parents knew... Uh, like, her mom has a new husband. And her dad either has a girlfriend or a wife. They don't say which mm-hmm. it is. But he, he's with a woman as well. And it's very, you know, contentious between... So, like, that kind of civilized contentious yeah. where they're they're sort of arguing back and forth, the ex-wife and the ex-husband, because he gives her a BMW as a graduation present. And his mom's... Or her mom is, says she doesn't want a BMW and everything. And Joe Don Baker's coming back with, you know, hey, it's a car that she can use to get around. And they, they're having this argument that's not really an argument, but they're being snipey to each yeah. other. So you can see the tension of that. So she talks about, the, it's very brief, because we don't see a lot of her movie. But she talk, they talk about, uh, you know, when they got divorced, and Ethan Hawke says that his parents got divorced when he was five. Mm-hmm. So... There's that I could they don't they don't expand on that. I don't know if she does in her movie because we don't get to see that. The seashell thing was that in her documentary? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, I guess there was. Yeah. There's a little depth there, but it's it's not. I agree with you. It's not. It doesn't seem like some masterpiece. And I think it might be done on purpose to kind of show the vacuousness of this generation and and everything yeah but uh when we talk about the movie overall i'll get into that a little bit too because okay. i think it it goes with the theme but yeah steve zahn uh part of the reason i think that he's celibate he keeps celibate is because his parents are very conservative and he hasn't come out to them as gay and he doesn't want to be with anyone because he knows that he can't start a relationship until everyone knows that he's gay okay. so, till he can be he wants to be in an open relationship with um with not open where they can see other people <laughs> but an open relationship where everyone knows they're together and it's okay right kind of thing so i think that's why he keeps celibate the stuff that we take for granted yeah exactly uh so at one point he does come out to his parents <clears throat> his mom gets angry we see her talking on the phone pacing back and forth 
in the house while they're outside the house. <laughs> He's not allowed back in the house yes. yet, as he as he points out. Uh, he, the his character doesn't get a lot of screen time, but I think that his storyline is the maybe the most important slash interesting of the storylines of the characters because of what he's wrestling with. Yeah. We don't get to see a lot of it, but it's on the periphery. It sort of brings up homosexuality and, and the issue that it is in society today and and kind of how people deal with it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so then she ends up with Ethan Hawke at the end of the movie. I don't think Ben Stiller really did anything wrong. Well, he didn't do anything wrong necessarily, he did in in the beginning when he took the movie. Right. And she said no. But then she agreed to everything that what happened after and, and like he kept saying, I'm sorry, I hadn't seen it, I hadn't seen it. He's not the one who, who edited it and made it look like that. Right. So yeah, I mean, if she was really in love with him, I think she would have accepted the apology that he gave her. And then he and at the at, you know, he makes a last pitch where he when he comes to to see her in the bar mm-hmm. and he says that you know he'll they'll they'll go they could go to New York together and pitch the show she wants. Yeah, but the problem is at this point she got mad at him, and while she was mad at him, that's when she hooked up with Ethan Hawke's character, mm-hmm. and he's there and says, "Oh, do you want to tell him or should I?" So I mean, there's no way that she's going to get out of this. I think the point of of this is, in my opinion, is that Ethan Hawke and Winona Ryder are part of the same generation. What If you want to call it Generation X, if you want to call it whatever comes after Generation X, uh, you know, I think Generation X is what they use most of the time. But they're part of the same generation. And Ben Stiller is not a lot older than them, but a little older than them. And he's part of the previous generation, that yuppie yeah. generation and everything. And I think it's kind of the clash between those worlds, whether you're going to be more corporate or more artistic. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of the conflict that comes from that love love triangle. Yeah. And I think she ends up going with Ethan Hawke because he represents now. He represents the the you know the the cultural force of this generation that's just graduating college now. Okay. That's my opinion. But to, to talk about the movie overall, <clears throat> what I like about the movie, and I like movies like this, and we don't get a ton of movies like this nowadays. A lot of, a lot of movies are very action-y. There's a lot going on mm-hmm. in, in the movies. I like that the movie is about ideas, and there's a lot of dialogue in the movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, things like that. So I like, I like that aspect of it, where... You know, it's a lot about things. It's it's about life. And people do a lot. There's Like I said, there's a lot of dialogue. A lot of talking back and forth between characters. Establishing relationships. Establishing ideas. And it's a movie you can talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. About the ideas in it. Yeah, it's it, that's more enjoyable to me too. I like movies with a little bit of, of depth and, and character. So I think the movie is basically about this generation and kind of how how they are how they act and you know they don't have this generation seems to not have and i would say we're probably part of this generation yeah i I mean at least in a peripheral way yeah i mean they're a few years ahead of us but yeah uh but that um they they don't have as much drive necessarily they're more aimless they're not exactly sure what they're going to do or what they want to do. Right. And that's weaved into this story. There's yes. a lot of meandering in this story. But it all connects to sort of what's going on right now, you know, in 1994 in this country. And sort of, you know, the youth culture, grunge, uh, music, and, and things like Lots that. Lots of pot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of smoking. Yeah. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. I think that the movie does a really good job of encapsulating. It's almost like a time capsule. Yeah. Like 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, if people want to know 
what right now is like, they could pop this tape in or, or you know, whatever, and watch it and kind of get a sense of what, yeah. what it's like. I agree. So that's, uh, you know, that's something that I really appreciate about the film. Uh, was there anything that you sort of didn't like? Any any elements of the film that you that you found bad, disturbing, not no. satisfying? I don't know. I mean, I really, really liked it, but I I think the end was maybe a little rushed. Like not like when they show the end. I'm not a hundred percent sure what happened. Okay. I know they got together. Yeah. The dad's on the answer machine talking about his credit card bill. They're making out on the couch. There's all these boxes everywhere. Nobody else is around. Like, are they moving in together? Like, what? What's happening? What, why are they? Yeah, moving? do they have to move out because they don't have enough money? Right. Well, what happened? Did she get money for that thing, even though she doesn't want it to air? Do they own the rights to that? So, are they going to air it as is because they own the rights to it now? Well, if if you were paying attention after the credits, um, which I think maybe you took off for the bathroom, but uh, her. Her ex-boyfriend there, Mr. Stiller. Oh yeah, yeah. I released, saw. No, I saw it. I yeah, saw it. He released a spoof of, of of it, like a spinoff, like an animated. I think. No, it wasn't animated. It, wasn't it was animated? live action. Okay. But yeah, he released. Uh, the guy's name was Roy instead of yeah, Troy. Yeah. So he was like making his own version of it. Yeah. So I don't think that they would have done anything with hers since he made his own. It's possible. He just kind of stole the story, though. Right. Yeah, the story of the movie. Yeah. Basically, yeah. It's sort of a movie within the movie right at the end as the credits are rolling on the screen, yeah. So that's what he got out of the relationship. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, I agree the ending is a little is a little rushed. But overall, I think it's a very good film. Definitely check it out. Go and, uh, you know, go to the theater and, and watch it. It's, it's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, very solid. And uh, Ethan Hawke, you know, has not done a ton since uh, Dead Poets Society. But, you know, hopefully this helps revitalize career. He's a very good actor. Yeah, he is. If you look at his character in Dead Poets Society and then look at this character, you see, I mean, there's a lot of differences. He has a good range. I want to watch Dead Poets Society now. Um, I might be be a blockbuster, I think. Yeah. Should be. Um, Oh, what else was I going to say? Ethan Hawke, Dead Poets Society. Just oh, just I want to own this movie when it comes out. I want to own it because I want to watch it again and again. Buy it at the That's, that's store. how I feel about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a it's a very good film, and uh, I think uh, you know a solid one to um, to see. So definitely go out and check this out in the theater. So that brings us to our blockbuster picks of the week. Uh, we as we end our show each week, we pick some. Some movies that are out at Blockbuster that we think maybe you should rent. Uh, This week we've got two films to recommend. One is Fast Times at Ridgemont High, older film from Amy Heckerling. Uh, uh, But it's just coming out on VHS now, so VHS-wide release. Obviously at the time this movie was made, they they didn't, VHS wasn't nearly as big as it is now. Right. Uh, And the program... Uh, starring James Kahn about the uh, the college football team. So, Fast Times at Ridgemont High is a classic, obviously. Uh, it's sort of like Reality Bites. It's one of those, this is how things are for the youth. Obviously, this one takes place in high school, and Reality Bites is they've just graduated college. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh, um, Phoebe Cates is in it, and uh, Judge Reinhold, who teamed up later together for gremlins uh but uh yeah so that's uh you know this one's a, a classic where it's really captures the zeitgeist of the 80s youth teen stuff and uh you know very uh good film one we might talk about at some point yeah on our show you know rent yeah, it and, and uh check it out for you guys the program came out last year <clears throat> very intense interesting movie about college sports where you know they show the how players can be paid sometimes players get hurt they uh they get injections of Mm -hmm. these quarter cortisol injections so that they don't feel the pain and everything just what they put their bodies through absolutely brutal and a very a very intense and serious look at some of the darker side 
of college football and college athletics in general. Yeah, and as someone who is not at all into sports, I still enjoyed the film. It 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 really, I mean, it's very dramatic and, and like you said, intense and enjoyable. There's that scene where they're doing push-ups in the street. Mm-hmm. That caused some controversy because I read in the paper that there were uh, people imitating that. Oh, no. And, you know, getting causing car accidents or almost getting hit by cars and things like that. People are idiots. Yeah, absolutely. They'll do anything they see in a, in a film. Right. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, that's, that's also, it's a very... If you're looking for something, obviously Fast Times at Ridgemont High has a lot of serious elements uh-huh. to it, especially with Jennifer Jason Lee's character. But uh, if um, you know, it's it's more of a comedy. It's you know, it's a little more lighthearted in, in spots. Yeah. So if you're looking for something a little more lighthearted, that would obviously be something to rent. If you're looking for something intense and very dramatic, then the program is is the way to go. I would say this week. So check those out at uh, Blockbuster. And that is our show for the week. Thank you for listening to Massive Late Fee. As always, if you want to donate a little money, you can go to Carol's Locker. <clears throat> if you want to, if you have any suggestions for the show, you can go to my locker, slip it in the, the vents there, <laughs> and uh, I'll see your, your note. We've gotten some notes from people. so Which we appreciate. Yep, and I might read some of those you know, on the, yeah. sh- on the show at some point. Uh, But yeah, that is our show for the week. Thank you so much for watching. We will see you next week. Bye. Thanks, everyone.